This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au It is um, honestly a massive privilege for me to introduce to you Ray Galea this morning. Ray, he is... Uh, he was my boss for 10 years and um, probably one of the most significant people in terms of my um, spiritual walk and my ministry development. So um, I, I sat and watched Ray plant and lead a church for 10 years. And uh, if there's much that you've seen that's good of my leadership, it's often just been this osmosis process that I've picked up a lot of this stuff sitting under Ray's leadership for many years. So We're truly blessed to have Ray here. I'm thankful for Ray and Sandy and their family. But we're going to spend a bit of time getting to know Ray. Um, So Ray, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about who you are and your family. Who is in your family? Okay. Well, firstly, it's a great honour to be here. So thanks, Matt, and for the elders for inviting me. Um, Married to Sandy, uh, we have three children, James, Amy and Maddie. I've got to make sure I name them all because I was preaching at Katoomba last on the at the Timber Easter Convention, and I forgot to mention the name of my two daughters, so I got into trouble. I went straight to the grandkids. So the second talk, I had to sort of correct myself. So James, Amy and Maddie. James, Amy and Maddie, no water. Uh, And then James is married to Charlotte. They have three children, um, Audrey, Grace and Thomas, who unfortunately was named after my brother. Did he get your middle name? Did he get, is it Nothing. Thomas Raymond? No, no, he got he got James as his he got his father as his middle oh, name. But late. that's what you did with James. It's yeah, James that's Raymond Galea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, no, no, Apple hasn't fallen. Well, far it's from a broken the tree world. There. What are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> now you um, you are a second generation immigrant, parents of Maltese immigrants yep. to Australia. Tell us what it was like growing up in Western Sydney as a Maltese kid. Right. Well. I mean, you don't see yourself as a Maltese kid growing up with the way. You just grow up, then you discover, oh, it might have been different from some experience, similar to others. So we grew up on a farm, so I was a market gardener. I'll actually tell one story in light of that uh, in the talk. So I grew up on a farm. Um, uh, so there's a lot of physical work required. Um, uh, so it was a kind of, it wasn't kind of your classic Westie story. Um, though I am, I am working class in my mindset. I'm, you know, Went to uni and all that, but it's interesting. My wife and I—sorry, this is not exactly on the point, but this Guess is me. I, my wife and I—I I was giving a talk on doing ministry and working to working-class people, and I read Tim Chess's book *Unreached*. You know the yeah, book? Yeah, it's yeah. a good book. Anyway, uh, and so he really breaks down kind of class differences. So all this time, my wife and I thought all our conflicts are really ethnic, you know, Anglo, uh, wog kind of tensions, you know, but really they were class issues. And I thought, I'm working class, she's middle class. That's what our issues were about. So I almost discovered who I was in light of, in light of reading that book. You know, and that, how long ago was that? That was only a couple of years ago. So you thought you were middle class this whole time and you really no, were. Uh, well, no, 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 I thought you knew I wasn't. <laughs> I start with the Telegraph, start with the back page of the Telegraph. That I'll usually tell you. <laughs> Sports section yes. and then editorials, what are they? <laughs> no, um, no, no, it was just that... The nature of our conflicts, I thought, revolved around ethnic distinctions. But actually, I'm from peasant Maltese background. Anyway, I'm the son of a goat herder, for goodness sake. So, I, you know, that's my tradition. And actually, it's a class issue rather than ethnic issue. Yes. Yeah. And so, obviously, being Maltese, uh, your family has a Catholic um, faith yeah. background. Very devout. 
what what was the journey for you in coming to put your faith and trust in Jesus? Were you a Christian your whole life? Yeah. I mean, looking back, really, I'm very thankful for my, especially my mum. I mean, we, like, I went to church, we went to church like three times a week. Sunday, Tuesdays, which novena, special prayers to Mary, and then Friday. So I was an altar boy for eight years, and literally in a Catholic church just up the road from where I presently minister. I went from St. Aidan's to St. Albans, down the road, from the Catholic to the Anglican church. But um, I'm really thankful that my God conveyed to me that God, my mother conveyed to me that God was personal, like... God talk was always on her lips. I mentioned in her funeral in November how whenever the Jehovah Witnesses came, uh, she was really formative in my preaching. Whenever the Jehovah Witnesses knocked on our door, they always left bemused because my mum really didn't know the Bible that well, but she just had a streetwise way of arguing that was never predictable. And so, you know, they have set answers and questions. They'd always leave thinking... I don't know what just happened then, but we didn't have an answer to that woman. Uh, and so I kind of learned something about preaching from her, I think. But, um, but really, from ages 15 to 20, it was, I was a strong theist, always believed in God. But it was always God on my terms. Uh, sorry, from 15 to 20, it was very much God, more obviously a God on my terms. It was amazing what I got him to agree to in terms of my lifestyle choices. Uh, whatever I wanted, he just came along for the ride. Uh, yeah, so that's that's the beginning of that yeah. journey, and then I and then at uni I was doing social work at Sydney Uni, and and a friend of mine from an atheist background uh, had become a Christian, reading you know those Gideon Bibles that you get given at school, uh, and I mean there was someone witnessing to her, but but she gave her life to Christ and then started going to a church, and I could just see this transformation, and I I couldn't quite put my finger on it, but I, I knew she had something I didn't have, and I liked what I saw. But I was living in Bondi and party mode and, you know, I just put that. And one day she said to me, Ray, you've got to make a decision about Jesus. He's either Lord, lunatic or liar. And I knew what she was getting at. If he wasn't my Lord, I was in trouble. So I gave her the flick. Not not the complete flick. I just pushed it away. And then about a year later, uh, I was counselling uh, a client in, um, there was a, there's a clinic in Moore Park. Uh, a drug and alcohol clinic, and I was I'm 20 years old, right? I don't know Arthur from Arthur, uh, and I'm counselling a, a woman who's been an alcoholic for 40 years, and I'm bored out of my brain, and I'm thinking, wow, I really don't care. It was like an existential crisis. Like I thought, I had a loving mum, and I couldn't give a stuff. Like it shocked me, and I thought I better get out of social work. This is not a good place for me to be. So I ended that session, went to my supervisor, and said, I'm out of here. I can't do this. And then at the right, and then the rest of that year was just kind of, you know, doing odd jobs. I even tried out for NIDA. Um, and then, and, uh, <laughs> delirious. Uh, and then in November of what well, is 1980 now, just a date where it all happening. I was living at Bondi. I went for a walk at Dover Heights as a sewage outlet, for want of a better point of reference. And I just remembered, gee, if Christianity is true, I'm in big trouble. And I thought, you know, I've never examined the claims of Christ as an adult with an open mind. Uh, so I thought, look, I remember somewhere Jesus said, seek and you'll find. So I said, look, based on that promise, I want to meet you if you're out there. Uh, so, and then I'm not a patient man. So I said, look, I'll read the, uh, I'll, 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 I'll seek you out, but I'll give you three weeks. And then it's <laughs> over. I, I, I'm not the sort of guy that's going to spend the rest of my life exploring things. You know, I just, it's not me. So at, 
so really I said, and I, from ancient history, I always knew you read primary sources, so the Bible was it. Whatever Christians disagree on, everyone, all the Christians agree the Bible is the word of God. So I started reading it, uh, started, got started in Genesis, I got lost, and then I, and then my friend said, why don't you go to the Gospels? It, it's all about Jesus. So now, you understand, I knew the stories, like, because I'd heard them in mass being read out. Um, but it was like I was meeting Jesus for the first time. I just fell in love with him. Like, there's no other way of saying it. I fell in love with Jesus. Um, I just, and I realized what I was hungry for wasn't love and, and I wasn't looking for forgiveness. I had, my self-esteem was too healthy. Uh, actually, I was hungry for truth. And I felt like my whole life was free falling until I finally landed on the one I could trust. And then that just kind of changed everything. And so I went fast forward three weeks. It was actually three weeks later. And I'm in the hotel Bondi and two of my friends caught wind that I was reading the Bible and thought I was going wacko. And they said, Ray, if you become a Christian, sort of, some things are going to change. And so what they did for me, they kind of counted the cost. So since we sinned in the same areas, they could be very specific. Bang, one after another. It was a very healthy process. And, you know, and after about 20 minutes, I, it was like I imagined this fork in the road. I could run my life my way for 20 years, uh, for 60 years and end up in a crisis eternity or I could surrender and enjoy Jesus' forgiveness now and forever. And I said, guys, I think you just persuaded me. I'm a Christian. And so they looked at me, thought it was a fad. And anyway, we went back to the unit, the flat, uh, in Campbell Parade, and uh, the bong went round. I said, no, thank you, and here we are. <laughs> Amazing. So good. Well, we're thankful that... Uh Christ was sufficient and the Gospels oh, were, yeah. uh, were really clear. So uh, you've been a Christian for, for a while now and you've also been in full-time ministry, parish ministry, church planting. Tell us um, what it was like um, having an ethnic background in the Anglican Church and why you started MBM to begin with. Right. Well, um, you know, I mean... Growing up, I went to a school in Penrith, St. Dominic's Penrith, where there's a lot... I mean, there were, you know, the wogs there, you know, Rascalatachi, Pasquale Donaro, Tiberio Dorazzi. I mean, fan, they should have been emperors. They should have been emperors. But really, we were in the minority, and I, I because I was a bit more fair-skinned, I kind of lived... I played the kind of... I, as a second generation, you live in the overlap of two cultures, like Christians live in the overlap of two ages. You're never quite at home in either one. Um, and, and, you know, the dominant ethnic group always excludes. And it's not because they're unloving, not, not so much excludes intentionally, but you feel on the outer. So you've always got to be especially uh, focused on the person who's different from the mainstream. I mean, everyone really battles to fit in, like, realistically. But it's just another level to it. And so, um, um, but I think it's starting MBM. I mean, I started MBM really not because I didn't fit in, because I did feel like church was my home. But um, it was, you know, I we were he- actually MBM started because my wife said no to being a missionary. <laughs> uh, we were heading to be missionaries in Malta, and um, and she was fine with it until about she had two kids. We we're in third year of Bible college. She said, "I don't think I can do it quite now." I said, "Really?" So I sulked for a weekend, and then I thought, "Well, there are plenty of Maltese and Mediterraneans of the western suburbs." So we reoriented our plans. So I always say MBM started as a result of my wife saying no to being a missionary. As it turned out, we've got two missionary families in Malta anyway now, uh, which is lovely. But I, uh, but really, it was starting originally. It was starting a specifically ethnic group. It was the Maltese Bible Ministry, 
Um, but within a year or two, we had more Assyrians. So uh, eventually, we, we changed our name to the Multicultural Bible Ministry. And I've probably never felt at home in a church more because um, the diversity is really, you know, there's a place for everyone, you know, socioeconomically and ethnically. We've got 70 different ethnic groups. Now, to understand, you're still, when I say that, you've got to understand that's 40% of the congregation. 60% is Anglo-Saxon, so um, please. And some congregations vary in that ratio. But it's really, it's just a place where the diversity, not to mention lunchtimes are always, you know, they're always great. Yes. Now, um, being in ministry for nearly 30 years, mm. partial ministry, you will have seen your fair share of... Uh, people's lives and uh, sometimes the mess that happens and sometimes mm. the joy that happens. From your experience, what are the things that, um, the patterns that you've seen of people and, and it just ship, shipwrecks their faith and then conversely the things that people do that really allow their, their faith to thrive? Right. What are some of the things that you've seen? Well, that's an these? excellent question. Um we didn't plan this interview, by the way. This is just all off the cuff. No, that's a very good question and worthy of a talk all of its own. Good. Yeah. If I'd spent eight hours thinking about it, it would have been excellent. <laughs> um, so there's two parts to that. Negatively, what's been harmful. Um, you know, the, you know, it's, it's for, you know, we all know our identity is supposed to be in Christ and on any given occasion it is more or less. But, you know, you know, as preachers even, we thumb justification by faith alone on Sunday. But by Monday, my, my emotional life's being determined by how many people are at church. Like, you know, and then you can translate to your world, you know, whatever that is for you. So we're, you know, in your head, you know, I'm defined by the fact that I'm a child of God. You would have heard that last night. I mean, that is the greatest blessing. Justification by faith is great, forgiveness, but adoption into God's family, that's what defines us. Now, you lose that, you know, you lose the wonder of that, you'll just go back to the flesh and works and just keep trying to perform your way into acceptability. And that just drives people into the ground. And then there's that side of it. The other side of the negative side is really thinking of yourself more holy than you would and being naive to your capacity to sin. You know, I every time I hear of another pastor sleeping with someone they shouldn't be sleeping with, I think, my goodness, you know, better men and women have fallen, better men and women than me have fallen, and I've just got to be vigilant about that without kind of being puritanical, if you know what I mean. So, um, I, I just, I, I just think we, we can easily be naive to how vulnerable I am. I live with the constant, I have a permanent, perpetual fear of committing adultery. Like, I, I just, because I know much better people than me have fallen. So, I, I sort of build in safeguards to keep guarding me, because, you know, I, I would not have been faithful to Sandy if it weren't for the resurrection of Jesus. That was a turning point for me. It locked in my ethics. Once I understood that, that my choices matter, that the final day renders all what I do meaningful, and I want to be, you know, and it doesn't mean if you've fallen, you know, there's no place for you, but, you know, uh, it, it just kind of drives me to want to live a life above reproach. Uh, and then along the way, you know, you botch it up and be quick to forgive. I think the people who, the people who've battled, uh, are those who keep losing sight of grace. So, so yeah, let's say you've fallen, fallen badly. It's the ones who let that brokenness drive them back to the arms of their father quickly um, and not pretend. Don't, you know, anyone who does pretend, we're going to value at MBM, we say we don't do pretend. And so, um, and that's kind of a personal value, I think, and a church value. So we just want to keep thumping that authenticity and, and, um, 
You know, what's that lovely line? I may not be what I want to be. I may not be what you want me to be, but I know I'm not what I used to be. And I'm a work in progress. We're all works in progress. Since the Christian life is messy, it's not. It's not this straight line, and and that's all right. You know. Um, so there's that. There's some things. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Amazing. Um, lastly, what do you love about Romans eight? I mean, you've written a book about it. Oh my so goodness. Why why write a book about Romans eight? It Everything you need to know is in Romans eight. Now I don't suggest you discard the rest of the Bible as a result but I'm telling you suggest a topic and I'll bet you it's in there I don't mean like a fine-tuned one but like all the big categories I, I challenge you right now creation creation bang it's in there we're looking Fall. at today bang it's in there redemption it's in there restoration it's in there glory it's in there I tell you it's an excellent book to disciple someone in not, not my book, Romans 8. Yes. Is. Yeah, you can show my book. But really, it's, and there's so much in it, I just feel like it can be, even in these next few talks, I think you would have got it last night. Probably. We didn't have a talk last night. Oh, you didn't? No, okay. it's tomorrow. We're oh, doing backwards tomorrow. Doing backwards? We're doing a backwards. Oh, anyway. sorry, I apologize. Yes. Uh, there's just so much in it. I mean, we actually, when we did Romans 8, we did it over a whole term. Mm. We just slowed it up because we wanted to enjoy Can I suggest that sometime in the future? It's its own beauty, you know, because uh, it just is so comprehensive. And pre- There are things in Romans 8 that aren't anywhere else in the Bible. Hmm. Like, you're going to hear today something that's not mentioned anywhere else, in the, as far as I know, on the Spirit. And it really amplifies the ministry of the Spirit that I love. It's got a big view of the sovereignty of God, but loaded in with assurance. Uh, I can just keep going. That's great. Good. Well, we're going to hear from Romans 8 in a second.